Truth and Transcendence. Brought to you by Yes, You Now with Catherine Llewellyn. Truth and Transcendence, Episode 87. This week I'm going to be introducing Gareth Morgan, who gave us his marvellous book, Images of Organisation, because I noticed over several decades of working with clients who were leading significant changes in their businesses, was that when we made interventions that weren't specifically tailored to the organisation in question, at best there was some improvement, but definitely not as much as hoped. And at worst, damage was done. I think we've all heard stories about sheep dip programs and um, supposedly benevolent change programs where people end up feeling victimised, exploited, uh, marginalised, discounted, not considered, and so on and so forth. In my experience, my observation is that those negative experiences occur when the interventions are not properly tailored to the organisation. And so we might ask, well, how do we tailor tailor it to the organisation? And of course, the first step for that is research, inquiry into understanding the, the actual nature of the organisation right now as we're beginning the process. So what are we dealing with? It's like if you go to the gym and start working with a personal trainer, they insist on putting you through a, a sophisticated assessment process. Where are you strong? Where are you weak? Where are you flexible? Where are you not flexible? Where do you have an injury? Where do you have a, a hip problem or a knee problem or a whatever it might be? And stamina and how's your nutrition supporting you? Are you in a state of uh, kind of nervous energy all the time? Are you in a state of exhaustion? Are you in a really good state? Now, all of those same questions can apply to an organisation. So this week, I'm going to talk about another one of Morgan's, what I find very, very interesting ideas, is which is that we can look at an organisation as a political system. Now, even that use of that term to me is interesting, because the minute you say political, you think of government, and you think of um, power over and running a country or making political decisions or political agendas, power plays and all of that. Now, in an organisation, of course, yes, those are the immediate things that we can notice and observe. So we can immediately see, okay, who's the CEO and what is that person's kind of approach? What is their style? What, what does, what seems to be their agenda? And how does that then play out in the way that they lead? But actually in organisations, uh, when we say that an organisation can be seen as a political system, we're looking at something which runs all the way through the organisation and through every single individual who's there and every single element and aspect of the business. Because when we're talking about uh, p- politics also comes from the same word as polite which also comes from an ancient word, which means the same as community, human relating. So some people listening may have heard me talk about the seven energy levels model of organisational diagnosis and intervention. And that model, which is based on the Eastern chakra system, 
halfway up that model is the layer which is referred to as the the heart-led layer, um, the political layer, the cultural layer, the relationship layer, that aspect of organisation. So when we think of an organisation as a political system, we are actually looking at it on the heart level, which might sound strange because we think of politics as, as nothing to do with the heart. But actually... Politics is all about our interests. Where do our interests lie? What is it that we want? What are our motives? What are we motivated by? What are the outcomes that we're looking for? What what do we care about? What matters to us? Where does our passion lie? And all of that is heart level. When it gets played out in a way that is uh, sinister or in some way unethical or we think it's not moral... That doesn't mean it's not on the heart level. It simply means that it has been um, skewed in a way that is overly self-interested and without sufficient compassion and consideration of others. So in other words, it's the, um, the negative side of us trying to take care of ourselves. It, it's us then moving into a realm of, of uh, taking care of ourselves at the expense of others. So it's it's, if you like, uh, a, a, a corrupted manifestation or expression of that level of human experience and manifestation. So in this, in this chapter about political systems, organisations as political systems, Morgan goes into an awful lot of detail about many aspects of it, which I'm not going to do today. Today, I'm just going to talk about something I loved, which is, t- is his table of sources of power in organisations. And the reason I think this is a really accessible way in to this whole question is because these are uh, these are ideas that we can all understand. And these are ideas that we can look at and say, oh, yes, I, I can or can't see that as a source of power. And if I do see it as a source of power, am I using that myself in order to improve things? Or am I using that myself for my own self-interest without considering others? Or have I never even thought of it? Or do I see other people using that as a source of power? And do I understand what they're doing or not? So let me just go through these relatively straightforwardly and settle in and just kind of let this roll over you and see whether or not any of it resonates for you. So formal authority is the obvious one that most of us think is that's the beginning, the end of the sources of power. So what's your job? What's your remit? What's your accountability? formal authority. Then we've got control of scarce resources. Years ago, I used to work in computers as a programmer analyst. This is a very long time ago. And in those days, all of the wisdom was held in these big fat manuals. And all these big fat manuals were housed in a cupboard with a locking door. And this cupboard was behind the desk of the man who controlled the cupboard and the manuals, and he had the only key. He had a lot of power. Because if a problem happened, which in my case happened often, (laughs) I wasn't very good at my job, um, which is probably why I'm not doing that anymore. I had to go and look in the manual to try and find out what I'd done wrong and how to fix it. And I had to go and be polite and nice to this person in order to get him to give me the key, which now sounds terribly archaic. This would have been in the 19... 70s I suppose and it, it, and it was just 
an extraordinary situation. I think we can also think of situations like that where there's a scarce resource of one sort or another. And the person who's got the key or the control or the the sign, the login power for that has power. Then we've got use of organisational structure, rules and regulations. So compliance departments um, and any any department which is in control of some of those things or able to write those things, which can happen at all sorts of levels of the organisation. I, I once received an email from somebody in some sort of compliance department in a bank saying, um, uh, Catherine, you've been using our company logo on your website Um you're breaking the rules by doing that um, and basically implying I was breaking the law by doing it. And I had to take it down immediately and send in an apology. What he didn't know was that his boss's 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 boss had worked with me extensively over the years and had given me a recommendation and as a testimonial and had actually given me permission to use the logo, which I was doing. But he was trying to wield power that he had and if I hadn't done that work with that client and didn't hadn't re- remained in contact with that client over the years, I would have been terrified and would have been changing my website and having to pay people to make alterations and edits and and all sorts of things and being frightened of being in some way sued. You know, he was wielding power, but he was very, very junior in the organisation. So, and then we've got control of decision processes, which is fairly obvious control of knowledge and information, who are the people who've done the research. Uh, And this happens with external consultants sometimes who are delegated a remit to go and do a piece of research on behalf of the organisation. And then they've got the information that gives them power and how and when they choose to present it to the client gives them a high level of influence. And I imagine people listening will have had situations where people within the organisation are resentful of the power these consultants have because they've got the information. And sometimes they can use that information to even recommend that people are taken off post or put on post. I've seen some extraordinary situations uh, around that. Control of boundaries. You can go here, you can't go here. Uh, Ability to cope with uncertainty. So that's more of an inherent uh, personal capacity source of power. So anyone who's, who has a really high ability to cope with uncertainty automatically has more power in the organisation because they remain resilient and resourced where others are falling apart and that gives them power. And I've seen people move up the ranks quite quickly when they have that particular capacity. Obviously, they need other skills and capabilities to go with it, but uh, you know that's, that's a, a real source of power. Control of technology, interpersonal alliances, networks, and control of informal organisations. So my example of the junior person who told me to change my website and take the logo off, I actually had a piece of power that he didn't know about, which was my interpersonal connection with my client, who was his boss's boss's boss. So there were several different pieces of power there that were being brought into play. I also happen to have quite a good ability to cope with uncertainty. So I wasn't sort of knocked by by it. I immediately knew what to do. And my client, um, partly because he'd worked with me for years, but partly because he was just a wonderful human being and a very capable human being, 
knew exactly what to do as well. So several things came into play. Now, control of informal organisation is quite interesting. Sometimes uh, we can see almost like a kind of cult uh, growing up inside an organisation that doesn't exist on any organisational chart. So there may be some sort of trend or some sort of behavioural norm or some sort of uh, new idea, which is embraced almost religiously by a section of the organisation or by certain certain types of people within in the organisation. And that can then wield power. Control of counter-organisations. Now, that sounds quite sinister, and that's something one would have to really look into quite deeply to see what that actually means. But that's where there are um, elements which exist because our organisation exists. Then there's another organisation which exists with the purpose of acting counter to it. So uh, whether that's competitors, whether that's uh, regulatory bodies, whatever that might be. Then symbolism and the management of meaning. So the people who put in the mission statement, the people who put in, uh, you know, uh, principles and ethics and values for the organisation have power. And then gender and the management of gender relations. Now, in the old days, what that meant was if you were a man, you had more power. Nowadays, that's not necessarily the case. Now, in some cases, actually, if you are uh, gender neutral, identified as gender neutral, that might give you a certain kind of power because of the politically correct movement that's going on at the moment, where if you if one falls within certain categories, because the social norm now is to give extra respect to those categories, that might give you a lot more power than you would have had some time ago. And the management of gender relations, you know, people who know how to manage gender relations very well, then receive a lot more power, partly because they then gain the loyalty of everybody involved. However, people are identifying in terms of gender. If there's somebody who's dealing with them in a way that they find equitable, supportive and respectful, they will give that person loyalty. And I think that's valid personally. And then finally, the power one already has. So this is something that I've really invested in myself over the years. I remember years ago, suddenly looking outside of myself and looking at power and wealth and all of those things and thinking, well, what I'd really like to do is develop, is to develop inner power and inner wealth, which is something that can never ever be taken away from me. And that, that's where personal growth comes in, self-awareness, uh, learning about one's ego, one's one's flaws, uh, and, all, and all of those things, in order to develop per- inner personal power, which then cannot be taken away, and which can then be brought to bear in each and every situation. So the power one already has, some people would say, is the most powerful thing there is. But it's, mu- it's more subtle than some of the others. And it's something which isn't necessarily recognised by people outside of oneself, until it is wielded or utilised or applied. And then sometimes people are very surprised, but they then recognise it. So the invitation this week is to reflect on some of those and ask yourself, 
Do I see those as sources of power in my my organisation? Are some of those sources of power more or less potent in my particular organisation? I think it's pretty obvious that if you're a tech firm or a food manufacturing firm or a consultancy or a Bitcoin consortium, different different aspects of those sources of power will come to bear come to bear in a variety of different ways. So that's also very, very interesting. And that's another reason just to come back to the thing of we need to look into our organization and kind of do some diagnostic work, do some research, do some mapping so that we can then say, oh, right, in this organization, these are the most potent sources of power right now. These are the potential sources of power. These are the sources of power that have been distorted. These are the ones that are being used to very good effect. These are the ones that could be manifested much more fully for the good of all. These are the ones we need to tone down on a bit because we're overdoing it and it's causing a a kind of uh, warped, um, disjointed um, shape to the organisation in terms of how it's manifesting. And then as an individual, as an individual leader or an individual member of an organisation, we can look at those and say to ourselves, when I want to influence things, which of those sources of power can I pull on? Which of those sources of power can I learn more about and pull on? And which of those sources of power do I absolutely not want to have anything to do with because it just does not fit with my values? And how can I honour that? And which are the ones I'm using unconsciously that I may or may not wish to continue using? So organisations as political systems is all about our interests. A political system works best when everybody's interests are being served. When everybody feels like they're getting more out of the arrangement than they're putting in. So in other words, the energy they're investing into the situation is giving them a return that to them feels utterly worthwhile. That is what is that is a sustainable political system. A political system where where at least some of the people, I would say perhaps a significant minority of the people even, if those people do not feel what they're getting out of it is more than they're putting in, that is an unsustainable political system. Because in order to maintain that system, force must be brought to bear in order to ensure that those people continue to participate. And bringing force to bear is energy hungry. It's an energy hungry activity. It costs money, um, psychic burden, emotional stress, mental stress. It's costly. So by definition, you've got something which is unsustainable in the long term. And if we look across history, uh, everyone often thinks, you know, dictators and uh, people like that from history... the the more determined they are, the more they use force, the more likely they are to survive. And actually, that's not necessarily the case. I'm not a history expert, but from what little I know, it seems like actually using force to coerce an organisation or any, any collective group of human beings in the end becomes extremely costly and in the end becomes unsustainable and in the end it fails. 
Now, that's just my point of view. And so you may know a lot more about history and you may say, Catherine, actually, no, that's completely wrong. But I do think that's very definitely a, a, a tendency. So in an organisation, if force is, ha- is having to be used in order to try to compensate for the fact that, pe- that there are people who do not feel they're getting more out of being involved, their interests are not being served, uh, net not being served, that's unsustainable. So it's very definitely worth paying attention to what are the interests of the people involved? Are they being served? Do they feel like they're being served? And how are those interests changing over time? And how can we make sure they're still being served? And then you've got a sustainable political system. So I don't think the word political or politics is a bad word. I think it's just a description of the the natural fact in human relating and human manifestation that we all have interests and we all need to have our interests served if we're going to be happy and fulfilled. And we all need to pay attention to the interests of those around us and have an interest in those interests being served if we want to have sustainable relationships, communities, organisations. So I hope you've enjoyed that episode. Hope it's been interesting to you. Have a wonderful week and I will see you next time. In the meantime, if you'd like to find out more about my work, please go to yesyounow.today. And if you'd like to have a conversation with me about your organisation, about how it is now, how you want it to be and how you plan to get there, please check the link in the show notes. I have a capacity for a few people to have these conversations and you can use this conversation either as a opportunity to bounce your strategy off somebody else like me with no strings attached or you can use it to explore the possibility of inviting me to help. If you like and appreciate Truth and Transcendence, please support the show by telling your friends, rating and reviewing. Thank you again, and I'll see you next week. You've been listening to Truth and Transcendence, the regular weekly podcast from Yes, You Now with Catherine Llewellyn. For more information, head to yesyounow.today forward slash podcast.